content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Everyday Wealth. Can we talk about doom scrolling for just a sec? Even if you do not recognize the term, you may, in fact, have doom scrolled at some point. Doom scrolling, which some people call doom surfing, is basically binging on news or social media content about troubling things like a tragedy or a crisis or a disaster. And it is all too easy to do with everything that is going on in the world these days. As you might suspect, it's also possible for all of that bad news to take a significant toll on your emotional well-being, and that can influence your financial decisions, maybe even without you realizing it. One of the reasons that doom scrolling is so prevalent today is because of what the behavioral finance crowd likes to call negativity bias. This is the tendency for negative events to have a more significant impact on us than positive events, happy events, which basically means that we pay more attention to negative news and The media knows this. Of course, the media knows this. And in their quest for our attention, and when you are the media, which I have been a part of for a decade, the game is to capture more attention than the competition. In their quest for our attention, they tend to feed us a nonstop stream of negative news, which, by the way, is not a new phenomenon. It existed well before the internet. In fact, it was all the way back in the late 1800s during what's considered the very first media war between newspaper owners William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer that Hearst coined the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads, right? You've heard that before. So unfortunately, over the past few years, there has been so much bad news. There has been plenty of bad news, more than enough bad news for doom scrollers to feast on. COVID, Russia and Ukraine, the heartbreak in Israel and Gaza. And on the economic front, we've seen bad news as well. We saw the S&P 500 drop more than 18% in 2022, along with a significant rise in inflation, as well as concerns about a potential recession. The media has been right there for the ride with headlines like Wall Street, what went wrong? And the next recession, how bad will it be? And even 
The Death of Equities, How Inflation is Destroying the Stock Market. Of course, the problem is when we are constantly consuming this sort of negative news, whether it's about geopolitical events or the economy, it causes a lot of stress and anxiety and fear. And for some people, that fear combined with the volatility that we often see around these events causes them to get out of the stock market. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why that is almost always the wrong move and how having a long-term investment strategy can help you avoid focusing on these short-term events as well as the short-term volatility while keeping you focused on the important things, which is achieving your financial goals. To help me with this, we got the full team here, Isabel Barrow and Andy Smith, both of whom are wealth planners at Edelman Financial Engines. Hi, guys. Hey, Jean. Good to be here. Jean, good to see you. Andy, can I start with you? Obviously, these sorts of negative events are real, right? They are real. And in in many, many cases, they cause enormous pain and suffering for people. And so when we bring them up in the context of money and finances, some people may see that as crass or uncaring. How how do we deal with that? Um, I think that you can care about the world and you can also care about your finances. It's not mutually exclusive. We are human. We're not robots. It's okay to acknowledge the emotions that you have. The concern is when you kind of veer into obsession or when you catastrophize everything that you read. you got to be able to distinguish between how you feel about the events that are kind of happening in front of you and the event's impact on the market and then the event's impact on your actual cash flow plan, your actual retirement plan. Emotions are fine, right? Just don't let your emotions carry over into your money. That's where we start to see some real problems. When we're talking about being reactive, often what we're talking about is people saying, that's it, I can't take it anymore, get my money out of the markets. I've seen the markets go up and down too far, too fast, can't handle it, and they just pull their money out. Right. I mean, that's that's the response is to say, well, because of all these things, I'm going to go ahead and, and liquidate. And basically, would you say that's a form of trying to time the market? I mean, that's really ultimately what timing the market is, right, is is trying to take some prognostication of the future and use it to make a decision about what you're doing right now. I mean, the thing is, is you have to have some perspective about what you're really doing, right? When you started this investing process, what were your intentions? Was it to stay in long term or was it to try to get in and out whenever we, you saw volatility? Or did you say to yourself, I am only going to invest for the long term if I have absolute clarity about the future, which is obviously impossible to know. And listen, you can get lucky once, right? You can get lucky (laughs) twice, maybe. I mean, I'd be highly suspicious of anybody who told me that they had accurately predicted what the market was going to do, market movements, with any sort of consistency. And remember that, you know, day to day, 
the markets show some of our emotional behavior, right? It, those, you see day traders that are buying and selling based on the news, right? The global bad news, which may have nothing to do with the profitability of the firms they're buying or selling. It's just based on the emotion of the market. So ultimately, this means that despite the initial negative reaction to a lot of these events, what happens is actually markets tend to recover because, again, now that emotional response has sort of been dissipated. I think that's a really good point, but a few examples would be helpful here. Right. And I think, and ultimately, in retrospect, some of these are going to be a little hard to believe. But for example, when JFK was assassinated, the market dropped 3%, but ultimately recovered all of that in one day. So that's a pretty unbelievable recovery. 9-11, the market dropped 12% immediately following, but then recovered all of it in 31 days. So just, you know, about a month. During World War II, okay, when, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, though the market ultimately dropped about 20%, it had a recovery all the way back to where it had been inside that one year. Right. And you don't even have to go back that far. You go to the COVID bear market 2020, lasted 33 days, right? So even though we had this pandemic, the market reaction was to produce the shortest bear market on record. You have to be able to think in terms of what is possible versus what is probable. When you start doom scrolling and get really into it and three hours later, you it's time travel and you don't know where you are, all you focused on is the possible. You have to be able to pull back, look at reality, and remember what is probable in all of these different cases. One thing that is probable is that we are going to have a presidential election in less than a year, actually, which is amazing to me. We, we've been talking about geopolitical events, but what about these purely political events? What do you say to people, Andy, who are tempted to make changes to their portfolio or their investments because of the fact that one party versus the other is in power? Yeah, it's definitely a hot button topic. I mean, everybody thinks that their team is great. Everybody thinks that the other team is, you know, terrible. I might use some other words if this wasn't a family show. Uh, but with clients, I encourage them to divorce their political opinions from their emotions from their financial plan, right? Politics is politics, but politics knows how to get you all wound up. And because they're kind of looking at different things. So to the, one of the better ways to be able to separate political opinion from emotion from your financial plan, I go back to the historical data and I show people kind of what happened between 1948 and 2021. And so I look at and I show them the years that the Democrats had control of the presidency and both houses of Congress. All right. So 1948. 2021, Democrats controlled the White House and both houses of Congress. The S&P 500 average annual return was 15.1%. All right, so that's the Democrats. Then I show them the years that the Republicans had the presidency as well as controlled both houses of Congress. During those years, the S&P 500 average annual return was 15.9%. So 15.1% for the Democrats, 15.9% for the Republicans. The data is clear, right? There is almost no significant difference in performance between when the Democrats are in power or the Republicans are in power. 
Money is green. Money is not red. <laughs> money is not blue. Money is green. You have to separate politics from emotion from your money. Jane Bryant Quinn, who was an amazing financial reporter, used to say that all the time. Um, she used to say it as it relates to men versus women. Money's not pink or blue. It's green. But I get what you're saying. And what you're saying in this case means that it makes no sense to try to modify or change your investments and your plan based on who's in power. Right, Isabel? Well, that's exactly right. And I think it's natural that people think that that's what, you know, it's going to be a good idea, even those professionals who do this all the time, or even those um, in the media. I have a good story about uh, Kurt Eichenwald, who is an American journalist, spent two decades as a senior writer at the New York Times, primarily covering Wall Street. And in late September of 2016, he tweeted that he had sold all of the stocks in his children's education accounts, and this is a quote, in preparation for a completely unpredictable Trump presidency. Whoa. So two months later, on election day, he doubled down, now proclaiming, and this is also a, a quote, I hate to say this, but against my investment advisor's recommendation, I sold all stocks and went to cash months ago, just in case. Okay, so of course, we don't know if he really did this or not, but, you know, because it's Twitter, but if he did, and, and I think it would be similar to the way many Americans probably um, had the same idea, it was a big mistake from a financial standpoint. And that's because the S&P yielded an 81% return from Election Day 2016 to Inauguration Day 2021. And if Mr. Eichenwald was truly out of the market during that entire period of time, he missed out on all those gains. And just to be crystal clear, this is not a, a, a pro-Trump or an anti-Trump or a pro or anti-Republican argument. It's a reminder of why you need to keep your emotions and your political opinions out of and completely separate from your financial decision-making process. Well, that is some story. And um I hope he got back in before <laughs> before it was too late and was able to capture at least some of those gains. We are going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of the ways that you can avoid being influenced by negative news and market events, one of which has to do with a reveal that I'm going to give about something I said during the intro to this show. Look at Gene with the radio background. Love the cliffhanger. Talk to you after the oh, break. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to get into it in just a moment as Andy busts my chops. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. 
We are back with Isabel Barrow and Andy Smith, both wealth planners at Edelman Financial Engines. We've been talking about the dangers of timing the markets or changing your financial plan based on negative news, based on economic events. So Andy, one of the things we talked about is how the media likes to feed us a constant stream of negative news so that they can always grab our attention. You're absolutely correct. Uh, They get your attention, then they sell you something. So if you are always jacked in to your cable news network of choice, then you're going to find all of these opportunities for them to grab your attention. And then based on whatever is there, you know, you may be looking at all of this kind of negative news as negative market news. And you're looking at all of these as some market sell signal that you have to act on each and every time you see all of this terrible news. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm a big consumer of news. I read three newspapers, sometimes four, before I typically start my day. And so I know that you can always find a stream of negative stories, no matter what is going on in the world. But during the intro to the show, I, I gave some examples of some scary types of headlines that we have seen from the media. Let's just dive a little deeper into those headlines. So the first, Wall Street, what went wrong? That was from The Economist. It ran November 25th, 2006. The second, the next recession, how bad will it be? That was from Time Magazine. It ran January 13th, 1992. And of course, there was a biggie, the death of equities, how inflation is destroying the stock market. You want to guess where that was from? Uh, yeah, yeah, Business Week, <laughs> August 13th, 1979. And that week, the S&P 500 closed at $108.30. By December 31st of 2021, it had risen to just over 47.66, a return of more than 43 hundred percent. I mean, you know, what's astonishing about all of these examples is they happened and then things proved them wrong, if not immediately, then definitely over time. Right. Never underestimate the attention span of the average consumer, right? So you have all of these things flashing at you and, you know, so you can totally see somebody reading that story and selling all of their stocks. But if they did that, that's a lot of money that they're missing out on just because they got sucked into all of this negativity and felt compelled to have to do something with their own money. And like, I guess as as sort of, um, you know, a tie-in to what we've been talking about, you don't ever see the headlines that say, stock market's just pretty boring, you know, great time to be an investor, right? You don't see the good news, right? It's the <laughs> bad news that captures our attention and all of this, like these kind of scare tactics. Um, but again, it's a great reminder that trying to micromanage your investments based on the negative headlines or, you know, scary news events or geopolitical stuff going on or or an election, it's just a bad idea. And not only from a financial standpoint, but also from a pure peace of mind standpoint. If you're always worried about changing your overall investment strategy, your asset allocation, buying and selling based on what you're reading about that's going on in the world that's negative, it's just not going to work long term. 
Let me just tell you, Isabel, that headline that you wrote, you know, stock market doing great investors profiting. Yeah, that's never going to get past an editor, right? right. My, my editor would look at that and say that has a PhD in the obvious, which is, <laughs> which is, was one of his favorite phrases. But here's the thing. We know that there are always going to be scare headlines. There are always going to be negative economic and geopolitical events. The question is, how do you compartmentalize? As an investor, how do you put your emotions off to the side? Well, I think ultimately, you know, it goes back to taking this long-term approach to your wealth creation, that there are always going to be events. There are always going to be positive and negative events. That's not going away. Um, We just don't know when or where or how it's going to materialize. But At Edelman Financial Engines, we are looking at creating financial plans for our clients that are designed to identify opportunities and to anticipate future economic market conditions, whether or not they be good or bad. So our investment strategy is built around these three concepts of stay invested, stay really diversified, and then strategically rebalanced when needed. We've really touched on staying invested. Let's talk about staying diversified. How does that work? So to give like a a very just general overview of our diversification philosophy, it's be as diversified as possible. Ultimately, we really want um, to have 16 to 18 different asset classes within your portfolio. Exactly how much is in each one of those asset classes is a very customized decision based on a whole bunch of factors, including your time frame, your age, your risk tolerance, your expectations for returns or your need for returns. So we're going to look at, you know, having money within each of those different asset classes based on your goals, time horizon, age, all of that. And so yours might be different than your your friends or, you know, your, your neighbor or your coworker because your circumstances might be a little bit different than theirs. But ultimately, it's not only a matter of being ultra diversified in these different asset classes, but also with in those asset classes being very diversified. So not having, let's say, for example, one stock in one category, right? One large cap growth stocks, for example, but rather having funds that are going to represent a lot of different stocks in each category in this example. And then it's a matter of continuing to maintain that strategy through rebalancing, which is as the portfolio starts to shift or move with ups or downs in one asset class or another, it's rebalancing to get back to that original design. I I guess my question on the strategic rebalancing part, Andy, is why is the as-needed percentage method better than the calendar method that you hear so many people recommend? Yeah, so, you know, when you look at the different asset classes that Isabel was talking about, we have this asset grid that we update regularly, and it will show kind of throughout the week and then over different periods which of the asset classes did the best and which did the worst. And so we color code it. And so you can see things move over different time series. So over time, some things go up, some things go down. But during that time, your portfolio's allocation, right, how much you want percentage-wise in different asset classes may change. And so to have a certain sort of risk model or risk parameter that you're operating within, you may need X percent of some asset class and Y percent of some other. 
when you come in and look at things from a calendar perspective, you don't care necessarily what the variance is between what you truly own versus what you should be owning. You're coming in with, a, you know, it's, it's blunt force, and you're basically saying, hooray, it's January 3rd, we're rebalancing. As opposed to, you're constantly looking at the allocation, and you're saying, this is what I want to have, but this is what I actually have. And if what you have is greater than what you probably should be owning, that's when we sell. And that's when we take those proceeds and push them out through the rest of the portfolio. So you're dealing on an as-needed basis rather than a calendar basis. Now, what changes this is just the market and the economy kind of changing around you. We're not necessarily going to just, you know, bury heads in the sand and just say, hey, that's fantastic. This is what we have, you know. Things are changing, and so we will reallocate those different percentages. But it all comes back to what you need to have versus what you actually have. And if there is a difference, if there is that variance, that's when we act and that's when you see trades in the account. I think having the plan, as you guys are talking about, with all of these individual components is kind of like having some insulation right for your house like you you know that that there is a barrier you know there's a structure around you that you can sort of rely on when all of these things are happening outside maybe insulation is the wrong metaphor maybe the metaphor is like gutters or you know it's it's just knowing that there is a structure that exists to protect you and that you can default to when your emotions are running high, when bad things are happening out in the world, when you are feeling unsure, you can default to the plan. And I think that's the whole purpose of a plan. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that that's a good metaphor, the, you know, the, the metaphor of, you know, the gutter, like, let it all just kind of run off, right, around the financial plan, let that let it come down, you know, let it sit there for a little bit, but then, you know, let it go. And I think it's it's interesting, because a common theme that I hear from clients often is they will call me when there is some type of world event, or when they're worried about something, they read that negative headline, they'll pick up the phone, and they'll call or they'll shoot me an email and say, Hey, Isabel, what do you think about this? And when we talk about it and I remind them, you know, hey, listen, we're, we're focused on your long-term plan. We're, we're really trying to prevent that short-term knee-jerk reaction based on the news. They almost always say, you know, I knew that, but I just needed to hear it from you, right? So they knew on some fundamental level that they shouldn't make a change. They shouldn't be so responsive. They shouldn't have that knee-jerk reaction, but they needed to hear it from me yeah. because they needed that reminder that we've already taken this stuff into account. We've already built your financial plan, assuming, again, that there's negative stuff, that there's positive stuff that, you know, we're looking at the long term. And it's important. And the, the big takeaway is like we talked about with Mr. Eichenwald is being out of the market can ultimately cost you. Just take, for example, from 2013 through 2022, if you were out of the market for just the best 20 days. So you were in the market that period of time, but you missed just the 20 best days. Your annualized return would have been less than 1%. 
But if you had just stayed invested for that whole entire period of time, your return would have been 10.4%. So the problem with this is, is that we don't know when those 20 best days are going to be. So if you're out and you miss some of them or all of them because you are out of the market, sitting on the sidelines, it has a really material impact on your long-term performance. Yeah. Absolutely. Such great examples. And, and I think, I think we get it, right? I think we get the importance of trying to just take our emotions, put them off to the side and not let it drive our long-term decisions. Isabel, Andy, thank you so much for being here as always. Thanks, Jean. Great to be here. Thank you, Jean. And now I want to welcome a guest to the show. David Barubi is a professor of communications at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. He speaks regularly on communication issues and public perception, which is so relevant to what we've been talking about. David, thanks so much for being here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'm, I'm just inclined to, uh, like you because my father was a professor of communications at Wisconsin and Indiana for many, many years. And, uh, so I'm an admirer of your work. And I, I'd love to understand a bit about sensationalism and, and how the media informs the public of events in order to drive an emotional response. Okay. The, uh, the, the first thing we, we realize is that uh, by and large, the media exists as a profit organization. It needs to make money, which means it has to sell ads or find some other way to capitalize what it does. We also know, um, at least uh, as a, a, an inter- a basic student in cognitive psychology, will learn that the one thing about the human species, which is interesting, is we love to be startled. Um, it has a, a, a completely um, interesting biophysical response in terms of hormones and um, other uh, types of chemicals released uh, uh, in the body and especially in the brain. So anything that's sensational or surprising or even dramatic tends to get our attention and uh, media learned this a long time ago uh, and um, ever since I think uh, the New York newspapers were, were first uh, printing they realized that the best way to get the attention or at least the interest of their readers was to uh, engage in some uh, sensational storytelling this is why we like horror movies as well what what and role- roller coasters it explains a lot of stuff gene it, it really yeah it really does what role do headlines play how do they focus our attention well headlines involves a, a process called framing it has its origins a few decades ago without sounding too academic what it what involves is that Uh, Every time the uh, media decides to uh, communicate some subject, they find a way to frame the subject. So they frame the subject as, um, here's an unusual event I want to talk to you about. So the concept of unusual event is the frame, you know, or I heard of something horrible that happened. The concept of something horrible frames the story that's about to be told. And that's exactly what happens with headlines. And good editors learn how to do this uh, very well. Good editors and, and good journalists who these yeah. days are, are motivated because 
the number of clicks that they get is often akin to how rewarded they are when it comes to actual pay, but also promotions and, and things like that. And I think what that calls on and what so many of these sensational stories call upon is the public to be able to distinguish between what's real and what's not. And it's very difficult. I, when my kids were little, um, uh, we used to play a game in the grocery store when we would go through the checkout aisles with all the tabloids and the magazines. And, and we would point to the different tabloids and the different magazines and talk about, can you believe this? Or can you believe that? And as my daughter got older, she went to Syracuse. She took a class in news literacy. And that I thought was probably one of the most important classes that she could have taken at that university. How do you distinguish between what's true and what's not? But even to take it further, how do you cut through the noise? How do you decide what's an important message to take away for your own use? And we on this show, we talk about the markets, right? We talk about our investments. How do we cut through the noise uh, from the perspective of managing our own money? Yeah, the, really the only guide you have as a uh, consumer of media is to um, turn to this, the, the locations for your news that's uh, locations you trust uh, that have had a long tradition of, of having um, been responsible and you find that when you view, for example, one show that happens to be on, let's say, commercial television, that it tends to be consistent over time. There's a, a term that um, a British researcher published called pre-bunking. I know it's not really a word, but it's really it describes, I think, what we really need to do. We need to teach ourselves that when we see a mediated message, we go through a list of questions, questions like, first of all, is this current? Um, secondly, does it come from a source that you have a, a reasonably high level of trust? Um, third, do you see it corroborated? Like, are other people saying the same thing? But even if you do all three of those things, you can't avoid these events. And the clear example of that was what happened when that hospital exploded. I mean, because everybody picked up on it. Yes, and so it does, you do get into the problem of you get this cascading effect that takes place periodically in the media where events just get out of control and the cascade just runs. And what you have to do in those events, as, uh, as we tell, I tell my students is that those are the events you almost have to wait until they're almost over in order to then debunk them in order to do like a postmortem and go, okay, now what just happened, right? Because while the process is taking place, everything is happening so quickly and it's so dense that it's almost impossible for you to like wedge yourself into the event itself to get the information you need in order to, uh, as that uh, researcher said, pre-bunk this, like as it's coming th through the media to sit down and, and analyze it as it's coming bit by bit, because it doesn't come as a bit, it comes as a flow. Well, I have more hope now than I did when we started this interview, because you're teaching <laughs> your students these sorts of very important lessons. Um, David Barubi, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate the perspective. Thank you, Jean, and have a great day. 
And that's it for this show. I want to thank Isabel Barrow and Andy Smith for being here as always. If the idea of tuning out all the negativity and focusing your energy and attention toward achieving your long-term financial goals appeals to you, you can always give the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call at 833-PLAN-EFE. Talk with one of the planners like Isabel and Andy. They can help you create that plan that can protect you from what the outside forces are doing in the news every single day. Be sure to subscribe to Everyday Wealth wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or just visit us at everydaywealth.com. That's where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.